Well, good morning. Good morning. Let me uh, get my bearings set. I know you all, pe- all you people are here and beautiful and lovely and ready to worship, and here I am running behind, so my wife would not be surprised. So if you want to stand, we will recite our call to worship together this morning. And I decided to pull it from Ephesians 5. This is going to be Ephesians 5, verse 15, 16, and 17. It goes, look, well, mine says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Amen. And the will of the Lord this morning is to worship him. Amen. To come before him with shouts of worship and praise, and that's what we intend to do. I give you glory for all you've brought me through. And now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. I'm moving forward to follow after you. And now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. Your presence, Lord. Your presence is an open door. We want you, Lord, like never before. Your presence is an open door. So come now, Lord, like never before. In every season, your grace has been enough. And I'm best is yet to come. The cross before me, my hope on things above. And in you, Jesus, know the best is yet to come. Your presence is an open door. We want you, Lord. Right. 
breakthrough is coming. Thank you, God, for meeting us here, Jesus. You're so faithful to your word, Lord. And it's for that faithfulness that we have in you that we believe that you, that we are who you say that we are. And that is images and reflections and likenesses of your glory, Jesus. Help us to remember that.
Heavenly Father, we just come to you. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome in this place. We glorify you, Father. You are good. You are mighty. You are strong. You are friends. We honor you, God. We praise your holy, holy name. Glory to you, Father. Glory to you, Father. Lord, we just repent for what we've done. Lord, to offend you or your Holy Spirit, your sweet Father. Would you forgive us, Father? Would you forgive us for our complacency? Would you forgive us for not doing what you ask us to do or doing what you tell us not to do? Lord, would you just forgive us, Father? Lord, cleanse us. Lord, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is is your son and you sent him to die on the cross for our sins that we wouldn't have to spend eternity into into hell. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that was shed on the cross for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we lose loose holy warring angels and the host of heavens of all rankings and divisions to scramble, confuse, abort, and block plans, assignments, schemes, strategies, sabotages, contracts, weaponry, counteroffenses of the enemy. And in the name of Jesus, let be bound away, gagged, muzzled, defeated, shackled, blinded, and muted, every lying spirit, familiar spirit, spirit attempting to impersonate the Most High God or Holy Spirit, every monitoring spirit, person attempting to remotely monitor, hindering spirits, unclean spirits, interfering spirits, and the like. We applied the blood of Jesus Christ as a covering to act as a soundproof barrier so they cannot hear us, see us, monitor us, or launch any strike against us, our loved ones, or those whom we're spiritually tied. And to act as a, mod, a, a filter, rather, so only the words of the Most High God and the Holy Spirit can come through. Yes, do it, Lord. Lord, we just invite you here, Thank Father. You, we praise your holy name, Thank Lord. Jesus, Lord, we pray for the words that will be spoken, Lord, will be anointed from you for your throne room, yes. Lord. Yes. May you comfort anyone who's hurting today, Father. May you embrace them. May your love just envelop them, Father. Lord, we pray for this nation. Lord, would there be a spirit of unity and not division? Lord, the enemy is real, but Lord, you are so much bigger. You are so much more, Father. Lord, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. Lord, we just ask that you would just, that we would see with our eyes, Lord, the defeating of the enemy, Father. We would see the corruption falling down with, with our own eyes, Father. Lord, we ask for justice in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just plead the, plead the blood over this nation, Father. Anyone or any, any principality that's come against it in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just come against it, Father. We ask for your peace and your joy and your strength to, to just rise up, Father. We pray for Christians not to be silent, Father. We pray that we would rise up and be all that you've called us to be, Father. Lord, I pray for every person here, Father, every home represented here, Father. Lord, I just pray that you would just cover their homes, Father. May be, they be a place of sanctification for you, yes. Father. A place, Lord, that is set apart for a holy yes. use, Father. Yes. Yes. Lord, I pray that you would rise up men to be God, the godly men that you've called them to be and the women, the godly women that you've called them to be. Lord, I thank you that you were giving dreams and visions to our young people, Father. And they're rising up and being all that they have, you've called them to be. 
Lord, we just ask for just a spirit of love in this place. And that as your word goes forth, Father, may we hear your voice, Father, in our hearts. May we be changed in a fresh and new way. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Rest in your love.
Stop working, you never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never. 
never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. who you are. Lord, you make a way where there is no way. You make a way where there seems to be no way. Lord, at the end of the day, all we can say is, my God did it. (laughs) My God did it. Lord, we praise you this morning because of who you are. You're worthy of our praise just because of who you are, God. We could we could thank you all day long for the things you've done, but we lift you up and glorify and magnify and praise you this morning just because of who you are. Because you, God, are worthy of our great praise. You're a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. When everything around us seems like darkness, you are the light, and light always overtakes the darkness. God, we might not see a way out right now. It looks dark right now. We see disease and death and hunger and poverty and brokenness and fear and corruption and, Lord, an uptick in depression and suicide and addiction and overdose. And But our God is a way maker. Our God is a miracle worker. Our God keeps His promises. And you promised that you could work anything for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, even in this, you can find a way to work all this brokenness for our good. We trust you this morning and we praise you, God. That is who you are. That is who you are. 
That is who you are. It doesn't matter who I am. Because of who you are. Lord, all that matters is who you are. And Lord, we just thank you this morning that you have called us sons and daughters. You have called us adopted and beloved. You have called us a part of your family. You've called us to participate in your very life. God, that's who you are. A good father. That's who you are. And Lord, as beloved children this morning, we just celebrate you. We just celebrate you. God, I thank you this morning for this family reunion that we get to have week after week after week. Or we just come in and we're reminded of how good you are to us and how blessed we are to call ourselves yours. God, we love you. We worship you. We adore you. You're welcome in this place. We need you here, God. We want you here, God. Saturate this place with your divine and holy presence. Every time we meet together, God, would you come before us? Would you sanctify this place? As Lee prayed this morning, God, set it apart. Remove it from common use and set it aside only for your divine and holy purpose that glory might be brought to your name. God, I pray that you would do such a mighty thing here, God, that as people drove by on the street, they would get convicted. That they couldn't even drive by the building without feeling the weight of the Holy Spirit pressing on them for salvation and hope and healing. God, I pray that when they pulled in the parking lot, you would arrest them with your divine presence in such a way, God, that all their defenses would crumble and melt away. That once they stepped into your presence, God, that there could be nothing that hindered them from just reaching the throne. God, we pray this morning, draw the broken. Draw the needy. Draw the lost. Draw the hopeless. The helpless. Those are the kind of people that fell at your feet and found healing. Found hope. Found help. Found rescue. Found salvation. Found transformation. Found purpose and calling. Found freedom and deliverance. Lord, we pray this morning, would you give us such a ministry. God, Paul said that that Jesus handed His ministry of, of being reconciled, that He handed that ministry of reconciliation over to us. Lord, we just say this morning we wanted to lay hold of that. Have Your way among us. Have Your way among us. Have Your way among us. Your way, God. Your way, God. Your way, God. Your way, God. Only Your way, God. Only Your way, God. Have Your way. Let Your kingdom come and Your will be done at Nouvelle as it is in heaven. Let Your kingdom come and Your will be done in Lafayette as it is in heaven. That Your name might be praised and that Christ Jesus might be lifted up. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated.
Give a hand to our worship team this morning. How awesome was that this morning? Just These guys are praising the Lord, setting the tone for what's going to happen today. We just give him glory and praise. Uh, thank you, Holly, for leading us through the throne room this morning. That was awesome. Uh, just real quick, we're going to go through announcements. Get out of camera view. Let me stay in camera view. I do it, Pastor Michael. Um, we're... Uh, we're just going to we have our same announcements, um, our Wednesday services. We're continuing Wednesday morning. You can uh, join the Bible study men with Jerry. Uh, for more information with that, get in touch with him. But Wednesday evenings at 6 o'clock, Bible studies for adults and teens. And we are uh, getting our kids' ministry. We're, we're talking about it. We're working it out. We want to get the kids back involved. So that is upcoming. So um, just be uh, in ready, ready for details on that. We're working on getting the kids back involved. So um, we're, we're going to just keep relying on God and, and, and relying on his wisdom on how to move forward and how to proceed safely. And, and uh, we want to be in, inclusive and get everybody back into service. And so thankful for all of you that are here this morning. Um, if you're worshiping at home, I hope you feel the Holy Spirit the way we do here, uh, just through the video camera, um, because he is here. The Holy Spirit is here, and it's a wonderful spirit this morning. So Pastor Michael, bring the word. I'm going to preach out of Ephesians this morning, but I, I don't know. I feel like I just need to read this. Maybe it's just for me. I don't know. Y'all know, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but um, I really love Jesus. <laughs> like not, like not, just, not just theoretically like, oh, I love Jesus, but like really like the person, Jesus. You know... <sighs> I think there'd be a lot a lot less struggle in the church of Jesus Christ if we knew Jesus Christ. <laughs> I want to read to you a little bit this morning out of Colossians where he talks about who Jesus is. It says the Son is the image of the invisible God. I want you all to hear this, okay? This is a description of Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, that is the church. He is the beginning, he is the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he this son has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope that's held out in the Gospel. What a Jesus we serve, church. 
What a Jesus we serve, church. What a Jesus we serve. We talked, we talked about this reality that there is a purpose for each of us. We talked about the, the absolute biblical certainty that God has something prepared for everyone that He calls His. We talked about the, the reality that God knits us together on purpose. That it's, He says He knew us before He formed us. He, he designed us intentionally. And once he's done that, you see, he, he put us together. He put us together because there's something that we're supposed to accomplish. And those things, those things are, are bigger than us. It's bigger than me. It's something I could never accomplish on my own. It's something you could never accomplish on your own. It's something he wants to accomplish through us. And, church, he wants us to accomplish together. My friend Jonathan used to tell this little parable. I talked to the kids about it on Wednesday night, the teenagers, that wouldn't it have been easier if you had been born a fully formed, cognitively developed, rational thinking adult? And you were born on an empty planet and there was nothing there but you and Almighty God standing in front of you. And he says, here I am in all my glory... In all of my goodness, you can take in everything that I am, the creator of the universe, all of it. Here I am right before you. I love you infinitely, unconditionally. I have nothing but good things for you for now and forever. And you can either choose just to love me. And here, by the way, is, is your eternal reward where you'll live in glorious peace, worshiping me forever. Or you see right there beside you, if you just look through door number two, there's hell. And we can just look in and see it. And we can see torment and pain and suffering and, and, and eternal damnation and fire and fear and darkness and hopelessness. And he says, okay, now choose right now. That would be an easy choice, right? This would have been a much easier plan of salvation. But instead, we're born helpless Mindless, hopeless, lost, broken, desperate, in need of a Savior. And then we have to spend on average 75 years walking around this planet with 8 billion other people. Most of whom are much more aggravating than me. Just ask me. Why? Why would that have been the plan? And somewhere in the midst of all this mix of tangled relationships and weird circumstances and good times and bad times, we're, somehow in the midst of all this, we have to have the experience of encountering a God who can't be seen and can't be touched. And then having... having encountered some invisible something, then we're supposed to make a life-altering decision based on something we can't even comprehend or explain that will set a new course for the rest of our existence and all of eternity. This was the plan. 
Meanwhile, we still, even after we make that decision, we've got to walk with all of these other people who just make things difficult. And we've got to learn how to love Him who we can't see. And we've got to learn how to love each other who we have to see. That was the plan. Seems like a hard plan. Right? Why would God do it that way? Well, I, I posit to you this morning the idea that our God, remember we started with this concept that the basic foundational statement of Christianity is that God is three and He is one. Our God is a relationship. First John says God is love. Love is by definition a relationship. God is a relationship of ongoing love within Himself. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Spirit loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Father loves the Spirit, and the Son loves the... It's this ongoing, swirling, unending, divine, unbelievable kind of relationship of love. And it was from this nature that He produced us and said, Oh, would you love me? Oh, that you would love me. I want to love you. Would you love me? And if you love me, would you love one another? And somewhere in the midst of all of this, we're supposed to have this experience where, where we find this God who put us together on purpose and put us here in this situation on purpose and who asks us to walk out this life which is oftentimes really difficult. But he did it on purpose. And what we've seen the last couple of weeks, guys, is that he didn't just put us here and abandon us to this course. He didn't ask us to do something beyond our ability and then sit back and judge us when we failed. Instead, he said, I'm going to ask you to do something you could never do so that I can help you do it. See, because our God is a relationship. And He wants that relationship with us. And He says, I want you to do something you could never do. And the reason I want you to do it that way is because then you're going to need me to help you. And I, I want to help you. What a God. And so the Father gives us grace. And He puts in us these gifts that we talked about a couple weeks ago in Romans 12 that are just part of our very nature, this, this innate thing that God has made us to be where maybe we're a great leader or maybe we just have a servant's heart or, or maybe we're, we're just really good at listening to what God has to say or maybe we're just really good at taking care of other people. Those things that are just part of who we are. God has given that to us and He's given it distinctly and on purpose because His grace is specific for me. Last week we talked about we talked about being filled with the Spirit and, and, and even more than being filled and being led, being activated, set into motion by the power of the Holy Spirit, literally, physically, at work within your members. That's what Paul says. That God might actually use this physical thing to do something I cannot do. 
And those, those moments where you're activated by the Spirit, those things, those things aren't a part of you. Those are things from God. That is literally God just working through you. You're just, you're just a tool. It's like the garden hose. When you turn on the spigot, if the hose isn't hooked up, it's kind of useless, right? And if there's no water coming through it, the hose is kind of useless, right? You're just a hose. If you just walked out with your hose and waved it over your plants, they would never grow. There's got to be something flowing through it that's life-giving. And the Holy Spirit wants to flow through you in a way that is life-giving, a way you on your own could never accomplish. And in those moments when the Holy Spirit comes on you and He starts to use you and He starts to flow through you, those things, those things it says He gives to everybody as need be. Okay, that's not like, that's not like the gifts of grace we talk about in Romans 12. In Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit, this, this, Pneumaticus, this being activated by the Spirit, that is given in a moment for a purpose. It's not forever. That's you needed it right now, I'm going to move through you. The circumstances dictated that God do this right now, and you were ready to be used for that purpose, and so He did. Now, you might not be able to do that again tomorrow. Probably won't. You get hit with a word of wisdom, you probably won't be that wise tomorrow. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I want to talk this morning about that third person we haven't talked yet, that the Son. We talked about the Father and we talked about the Spirit. I want to talk to you this morning about the callings of Christ. See, we have the gifts of the Spirit and the man, or excuse me, the gifts of the of the Father, the manifestations of the Spirit. And I want to talk to you this morning about the callings of Christ. Now, there's something really interesting here. In Romans chapter 11, Paul says that the gifts of grace and the callings of Christ, the gifts and the graces are irrevocable. The gifts and the callings, I'm sorry, gifts and callings, it's 11.29, I think, Romans 11.29, says that the gifts and the callings are irrevocable. Now, why is that important? You see that when the Spirit comes, the manifestations of the Spirit are given for a moment and then taken they're given for a purpose and for a time and for a specific job to be done and then they're taken and maybe next time you get a different gift right but the gifts of grace and the callings of christ are irrevocable they are a part of who you are forever you cannot shake them you cannot shake them as a youth pastor I had a lot of students get called to ministry. Right now I have 13 of my former students are either in full-time ministry or married to ministers, which puts you in full-time ministry if you didn't know that. (laughs) And every one of these kids, I told them the same thing that was told to me. If you can do anything else and not be miserable, do something else. (laughs) Ministry is hard. It is not for the faint of heart. And more importantly, it's not for those who aren't called to it. If God didn't tell you to be here, don't be here. And that was, that was for kids who felt called to, to vocational ministry. 
And, and I, but once you get that kind of a call, you can't do anything else and not be miserable. <laughs> you see, because that call's irrevocable. You can't take it out of yourself. My mom has two has two brothers. She's one of six. She's got three sisters and two brothers and her two brothers were both called to ministry as teenagers. Their dad was a pastor and they didn't want any part of what their life had been like. They had grown up with their dad working two or three jobs and pastoring because Nazarene pastors never make any money. They grew up constantly at the church. You know how pastors' kids are. And when they grew up, they weren't rebellious. They didn't just hate God or anything. They just didn't want to be in the ministry. They wanted to pursue money and power, influence, position. And so they did. For years. For decades. For both of them in their early 40s. They had encounters with the Lord that just wrecked them. And they realized they had wasted the last 20 years of their life pursuing the wrong things. This morning, my Uncle John and my Uncle Dan are standing in a pulpit (laughs) because they're ministers. And their calling was irrevocable. It didn't matter that one of them wanted to go and be a, a... global executive for Domino's Pizza and make hundreds of thousands of dollars. It didn't matter that the other one wanted to go and become a, a, a brilliant general contractor and make millions of dollars. It didn't matter. Their calling was irrevocable. And when it came down to it, Jesus never stopped asking them to do it. And they could not continue to pursue what they were pursuing and not walk in that without being just miserable. Because the calling and the gifts are irrevocable. The gifts are just part of who you are. And the calling, Jesus is never going to be done with you. He's never going to be done with you. And he doesn't care what you do in the meantime. He's never finished with you. Peter denied him three times, pretended he never knew him, cursed people out. Jesus returns to Peter and says, Peter, do you really love me? Well, of course I love you. Okay, well then go be a minister. The call is irrevocable. It's irrevocable. You can't walk away from it. This morning, I want, I want you guys to think with me this morning. One of the positions of the Church of the Nazarene, one of the things we say is that, is that every Christian is called. Maybe you aren't called to be a senior pastor. But you are called nonetheless. We've been talking about we've been talking about what what God gives to us to make this Christianity thing work. And this morning I'm going to talk to you about what Christ gives. And what Christ gives to you is a calling. What Christ gives is a calling. Now you have already been put together for that purpose. You've already been custom made by God. To do it. You've already been empowered and given the, the, the ability for God to flow through you and use you for that purpose. 
But now Jesus is calling you to it. And he's calling you to it for an unbelievably beautiful reason. And I want to get into that this morning. A little bit about what God has for us. We're going to read in Ephesians 4. And we're going to pick up at verse 7. He says, but each one of us has grace, but excuse me, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Okay, so I want you to to look at that word there, apportioned. Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So this, this word means literally measured out. Grace has been given to you in the exact specification of Jesus. Christ determined exactly how and how much and what kind of grace should be given specifically to you. Each one had a specific amount, a specific kind, a specific grace designed, built just for you. Now, why is grace so important? Grace is so important because it's not something we could ever do by ourselves. It's not something we could ever earn. It's not something we could ever become. It's not something we could ever work our way up to. It was just given to you. You don't deserve it. And Christ sat down and he gave each of you something specific just for you. My mother-in-law is a really thoughtful gift giver. Does anybody know somebody who gives gifts and, and it's just... Like they put so much time and energy and effort and like they remember every little detail of something you said you might have liked two years ago and then all of a sudden they find it and they're like, hey, look what I got for you. Jesus is a thoughtful gift giver. And he's designed this gift specifically for you. (laughs) He took many captives and he gave many gifts. Paul says, Paul says uh, I can't even remember which book it is, but he, says, he said, we, he said our, our, we're going to march out praising God like slaves in chains being dragged behind a master. That's not a real pretty picture, is it? We think of slavery is a really bad thing. But Paul says this is our triumphal march. Chained to Jesus like slaves. He took a lot of captives, but he gave a lot of gifts. And those gifts are, are individually thought out for you. We're going to skip over to verse 10. Excuse me, verse 11. So, so Christ himself gave. So what did he give? If he gave many gifts, what did he give? There in the middle, Paul makes a little explanation about what it means to say that Jesus ascended means that he also had to descend first, right? But he's quoting the Old Testament there when he says that he ascended. He says, well, what does it mean that he ascended? If it meant he had to descend first. And so he's trying to get these people to explain that Jesus came from heaven to earth. So then he says, so, so what did Christ give? What are the gifts that Christ gave us? What's interesting is to this point, as we talked about what the Father gives and what the Spirit gives, The Father and the Spirit give gifts to individuals for the goodness of the church. Right? That's pretty clearly stated in Romans 12 and Corinthians 12. This is for the good of the body. Now I want you to see here, this has shifted a little bit. Christ gives these things to the church through individuals. It's a little different. 
What he gives are people. What Christ gives are people, and he gives these for the benefit of the church. He gives grace to everybody as he sees fit, but then the real gift is that he has called people to particular functions within the church. A few years ago, I, um, I went to this, this ministry retreat, and they read us this big psychological study that's done at uh, the University of Michigan. And they have a business psychology department there, and they have built this big program where they do what they call core competency testing. Has anybody here at your job ever had a core competency test? Core competency. What that means is they take everything you do in a day and they break it down to a few specific things you have to be really good at to accomplish your task. Where you have to be competent to see that your job is done. What are those core things? The average job has two to four core competencies. My brother is a a vice president of a multi-billion dollar corporation. I preached this one day, well, I talked about this in a sermon one day, and he he texted me, he watched it online, and he texted me and said, my job has nine core competencies. Neurosurgeons have about ten. Ten is really high. That's really high if the average is two to four. Okay, so the average is three. When the University of Michigan did a study on 100,000 pastors, they came back and delivered this report that said the pastor has 56 core competencies. 56. That's why my brother said, we had this study done at our job by the University of Michigan. He lives in Wisconsin. He said, I had nine. I've got hundreds of employees under me. Hundreds of, literally hundreds of millions of dollars worth of inventory and machinery. The pastor's job had 56 core competencies. And you know what the, you know what the examiner from the University of Michigan said? He said, this is a setup to make people feel inadequate. That was his quote. This is just a setup to make people feel inadequate. And then he said, why would anybody do this job? There's no person alive that can meet these expectations. I want to tell you guys this morning that he is absolutely right. There is no pastor in the world that can meet every expectation of a church. There is no no pastor in the universe ever in the history of the world that has been able to provide everything that the church needs. Ever. It has never happened It will never happen. I do not have 56 core competencies. I might be half good at like 12 things. I don't know. 
I don't have, I don't have that. I'm never going to have that. But we have this culture that tells us, oh, well, you've got this weakness, you better fix that. You've got this thing you're no good at, you better really work hard on that thing. Well, maybe, maybe I need to stop working hard on that thing and find somebody who's good at it. Maybe I need to do what I'm good at. When we look at this verse right here, what we see is that Christ's callings to us are for the benefit of the church. And what I want you guys to see this morning, and we're going to continue to talk about this idea of the callings of Christ for the next five weeks together as we break down these these positions, is that I believe the ministry model of the church is not a pastor and its people. The ministry model we see in the Bible is the church. Disciples and a discipler. And I, I, I want to I give you guys this morning this concept that what Jesus has given to the church is these callings on every single person who stepped in here today. And all of us fit one of them. What Christ has given to the church is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's what He's given. The grace that was specifically measured out for you was given so that you could find yourself as an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. I want to break this this down for you just a little bit this morning. Um, The Greek word apostolos translated means delegate. That's that's a word we're a little more familiar with. Apostle has become very, uh, I don't know, it's like Christianese, right? It's it's very churchy. But the, the true meaning of it is that you're a delegate. The actual definition or the the Greek translation, if it was literal, would be one who is sent out. So, some of us in the church have been asked by Jesus to be apostles, to be one who's sent out. We're going to go into detail of every one of these. We're going to take a whole Sunday to talk about each one of these because it's really important because everybody in this room, you're going to find yourselves fitting one of these things. And you're going to say, yes, that is exactly how God graced me. And that's exactly how the Spirit has moved me. And that's exactly what I feel Christ calling me to be. Because I believe, church, that the ministry model of the church should be fivefold. Not pastor and people, but church. Where we move and function together in in these five positions. And that's not just five people. That's not five vocational pastors who you put on staff and pay to do these five things. That's everybody in this room. Apostles are ones that are sent out by Jesus. Prophets, we've talked about that twice. I told you this is the one that comes up all three times. I think God is really intent on this one. It says that that we get the, the gift from the Father of prophecy, that we can get the gift of the Holy Spirit of prophecy, and that Christ calls us to be prophets. I think he's really, I think this one's important. And I think that's the reason it's the one that makes us so nervous. Because the enemy does not want us to lay hold of this. After everything else Paul says about spiritual gifts, he says, desire these things, most of all, 
pursue prophecy. If there's anything the Lord wants for His church, it's for people to hear Him and then, say, and then tell what He said. I mean, He's real serious about that one. He wants us to listen to Him and He wants us to open our mouths. So some are called specifically to be that. One of my dearest friends in the world, I, I told you guys about Pastor Gay Bosley. She is a prophet. She hears from the Lord. I know some others who just hear from the Lord. And the, the hard part, church, is not hearing from the Lord. The hard part is believing Him enough to open your mouth and say it. That's the hard part of prophecy. But Christ is calling some of us to that. I remember I had this this moment where one of my friends said, well, actually it was gay, said, you need to go and have this particular pastor pray for you. Okay, that's weird, but all right. You're a prophet, I'll listen to you, right? So I wait and I wait. This guy's got a line of people talking about everything that's happened and it was at a conference. And So I wait my turn. And finally the crowd kind of clears out a little bit and I, I stood up to, to go toward him and he's a real short guy. And as I was approaching him, we were about as far maybe from me to Leslie and he just stops his conversation and he turns around real fast and he comes at me and he puts his hand on my chest. I've never spoken to this man. I don't know his, he doesn't know my name, he doesn't know who I am, he doesn't know where I'm from. And he's about yay tall. So he's looking up at me. He's got his hand on my chest. Super intense guy. And he says, this is what I see. This is what I see. He doesn't know it. But on the way to that conference, I told Leslie, I said, I feel like I'm moving backwards. I feel like no matter how hard I try to move in the direction God's calling me to move, I just feel like I'm constantly just going backwards. Then here this pastor who doesn't know me says, this is what I see. And I just broke down. He says, but I want you to know, the Lord says you're not moving backwards. (laughs) He says you're not moving backwards. You're being drawn backwards like an arrow in a bow. And when he lets you go, and I'll never forget these words. He said, when he lets you go, you're going to be hurled forward at a rate that can only be described as terrifying. He said, and it's going to be so much fun. (laughs) See, there's... Y'all, I've been living on that one. Begging the Lord for that for five years. I'm hoping he let me go a few weeks ago. There's need for someone willing to hear from the Lord and open their mouth. Have you ever had that moment where you walked in and somebody just knew what your heart was heavy for that morning? And they approached you and they're like, here's what God has for you. 
Golly, do we need that church? Some of you are evangelists. I wish that was me. That one would be really fun. I have some friends that are just, I I know some men and women of God that are just evangelists. They're just fired up. You cannot shut them down. You guys know Brad's dad, Dwayne? Try to get Dwayne to not talk about Jesus. Try to get him to talk about something else. It'll work for about five minutes. And then he's right back to, man, what God did for me. (laughs) You can get him to talk about something else for a minute, but somehow he works into every conversation. God radically wrecked my entire existence, and now I love him with everything in my being, and he would do the same for anybody that would let him. It just comes out of him. He can't help it. It's who he is. It's who he was made to be. It's how the Spirit empowers him. And it's what he was called to be. Oh man, I long for the day when, when we find the right venue for Crowley Church of the Nazarene for Dwayne to just let that thing go because it's coming. Because the church needs evangelists. The church needs people that are just going to tell the good news everywhere they go all the time. Because church, we have good news. We have the best news. I don't know if you guys have been watching the news lately, but it is bad. We have really good news. We need some evangelists. We need some people that are just going to say, Hey, we got the good news. That's this Greek word, uangelon. That's a fun word, right? It literally just means tellers of a good message. People who tell good things to other people. Man, I love to watch those people go. It is so fun and exciting. And the cool thing for the church is, even for those of us who aren't just naturally that way, when you're around those people, you get drawn into it because the news is really good. And they get everybody else fired up. And before you know it, the church is becoming more evangelistic. Because the evangelist has been let loose to do the thing they were created for and gifted for and called for. We need that. This next word, this next word, pastors. Poimenos. Poimenos in Greek. It literally is shepherd. If you really think about it, the word pastor and the word shepherd are the same. Pasture is where we keep sheep, right? The pastor is the one who stayed in the pasture. It's a shepherd. And so as we move forward, I'll probably refer to this, to this calling as shepherding. Pastor Dale is a shepherd. I, I, I don't know the guy, but I see his fingerprints on this place. And I can trace his footsteps of ministry through this city. And I know his heart. 
His heart was to take care of people. It's all over the place. His heart was to find that lost one, throw him up on his shoulders, and carry him home. <laughs> I've never had a conversation with the man, but I see it. It's beautiful. Sorry, I'm not a shepherd. I'm a little more harsh than that. (laughs) I would lay down in traffic for you, but I'm probably not going to send you a birthday card. Because I don't care. It just isn't the way I was put together. I might remember your birthday two or three days later and be like, oh yeah, it was your birthday. That's cool. Happy belated on Facebook. It's just... But here's the thing. I don't have to have all 56 core competencies. I've got 56 people. If all of us just have one, we'll be all right. Right? I don't have to be all these things. You don't have to be all these things. Christ gave each of these things to the church. Some of you in this room are shepherds. Some of you in this room just want to take care of people. Jerry? Jerry wants to take care of people. Jerry just has a heart for people. He just got a heart for people. Miss Carol, she just wants to take care of people. Miss Janice is the same way. They keep track of everybody. It's not because they're nosy, right? It's because they really do care about you. And they not, just only, they not only just want to try to help you here, they want to lift you before the throne of God. They want to carry your burden with you. They want to love you all the way to Jesus. That's a shepherd, and man, is it beautiful. And we need that, church. The last one is teachers. And this Greek word means Teachers. That was pretty straightforward. But here's what I want to tell you. The difference between a teacher at school and a teacher, as as Christ has called it in the church, the teacher is a person who is obsessed with the Word. They can't have a conversation without quoting Scripture. They can't give you advice without telling you to read something. They can't say a prayer without throwing a psalm in it. They can't put a Facebook post up without a reference. All they want is for you to know the Word of God and let it change your life. They spend all their time, energy, devotion, heart, life, breath, thinking, planning, organizing, finding ways to get people to know the Word of God and to know it better themselves. The teacher is a person who just wants you to know God. And not just, not just in a, a, a warm and fuzzy, I went to the altar kind of way, but to love Him with your mind. We need those people in the church. Some of you here this morning are probably teachers. You may feel inadequate because you haven't learned enough. That's okay. 
If Christ has called you to that thing, pursue that thing. The best way to learn is to prepare for teaching. Before you stand up in front of a group of people and start talking, you will want to know what you're talking about. You don't want to stand up here and look like a fool. Before you sit down in a small group or a Sunday school class and you start to break the word, you're going to want to know what that word says. And so sometimes the most effective way to learn is to prepare to teach. Some of you in here don't even know your teachers yet. But it's going to come out of you. And this is a calling of Christ. I want, I want to finish up this morning with these last few verses of chapter 4. Or excuse me, of this section in chapter 4. If we can go to the next slide. Why does he do this? Why does Christ give these five positions to the church? He does this to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ might be built up. He does this so that all of us can serve one another. He does this so that everybody in the church is equipping everybody in the church. That's that's pretty awesome. He gives these things so that we can so that we can begin to equip one another and we can be prepared for the work he's calling us to do. And we might be built up, we might be edified, we might be encouraged and lifted up. Why? Until we reach unity. Is there anything we need in our culture right now more than unity? I have never seen our country more divided. We have been more divided. We fought a civil war, remember? We've been more divided. But not in my lifetime. Not in your lifetime. Imagine if the church began to equip one another for works of service, and in doing so, we reached unity. Imagine if we all started working together and for one another, and we found unity here. And the Baptist church right next door began working to serve one another as Christ apportioned grace to them and they found unity there and then we begin to work together with them for the sake of this neighborhood back here and as we worked and served the neighborhood and one another we found unity together they don't speak English they're not white people they're Koreans next door What if we found unity in the faith? Is there a more divided group of people than Christians? We got 650,000 denominations and all these non-denominational churches that just do whatever they want. We're so we're so segmented, isolated. There's no unity. 
What if we begin to serve one another and equip one another for works of good service? And this brought to us unity. We're divided by theology and by doctrine and by what kind of practice or by what kind of songs we want to sing and by what kind of clothes we want to wear and by what color our skin is and by how many people are in the choir or whether or not we have a choir or whether we stand, sit, kneel, whether or not our priest wears a, a, a smock or not. None of this stuff matters. It's all irrelevant. What if we just found unity in the callings of Christ and in the service of one another? We might change the world. We can reach unity in the faith and unity in the knowledge of Jesus. Church, I'm obsessed with Jesus. I want to know Him. And once we start acting according to the call and the gifts and the graces and the manifestations that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are giving us, what happens is not only are we unified in our faith, we're also unified in our understanding of who He is. We start to know Him better. Listen to this. And we become mature. We talked last week where Paul tells the Corinthians, I wish I could talk to you like grown-ups. But I can't. You're infants. You're drinking milk when you should be eating meat. Well, he tells the church here in Ephesus, if we would just practice these things in the church, if we would begin to equip one another and build one another up, we could reach maturity. And listen to this next sentence. Attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, he, that's kind of redundant, right? Whole measure and fullness. But he's really trying to get the point across. Is that we, if we do this, what we're, what's going to happen is we're going to be able to attain. We're going to be able to lay hold of everything that is Jesus. All of Him. We can have it in our grasp, church. Do you know Jesus? Did you hear what I read from Colossians this morning? All of that is in, it's at our fingertips. We can have all of it. We can attain the whole measure of the fullness of who He is. It can be right here in our midst. Right here in my being. If the church functions the way we're called to function, we don't have to be infants drinking milk anymore. We can eat meat. You know how many people leave the church and say, I wasn't being fed? You know how many times I've heard that? It's a common line. And I'm gonna, maybe going to stomp some toes. It's a common line spoken by people I think are pretending to be Christians. At best, they're just infants. What that really means is I didn't get my way. I didn't get what I wanted there. I wasn't being fed. You're not supposed to be fed. Babies get fed. You're supposed to be feeding yourself. Grown-ups don't get fed. Grown-ups eat.
can reach maturity if we're all equipping each other for good work and we lay hold of the full measure of Christ. We don't have to be infants anymore. That's the next verse. We won't be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunningness, cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to live that way. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every... There you go. In every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head. Speaking the truth in love. Whoo, that's one the church don't like. Nobody likes to be told the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts. My friend Jared pastors in Indiana, and one time he put on his church sign, if the truth hurts, that means it's working. We have to speak the truth in love. And if we're doing that, church, if we're doing that, then we can become in every respect, in every respect, in every way, we can be the mature body of Him who is the head. That is Christ. And from Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what's the implication here? If each part doesn't do its work, the body does not build itself up in love. The body's going to build itself up in love and we're going to become, in every respect, the mature body of Christ that we're meant to be if, if each part does its work. I believe that the model that Paul lays out for the church is a five-fold ministry. It's a ministry that needs apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Not one guy trying to be 56 things. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense when we really think about it. doesn't even make sense nobody in here is good at everything but everybody in here is good at something it's time that every part starts doing its work and in doing so we will become in every respect the mature body of Christ he's calling us to be and that is a beautiful thing that is a beautiful thing Guys, I believe with my whole heart that God has a, a real intention to deepen this place. I think that He has done unbelievable, amazing, transformative work here in the last few years. Seeing people come from the brinks and the, 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 the lowest of low places and be rescued. It's awesome. But Jesus loves you too much just to leave you at that Beginning spot. He doesn't want infants. He wants to teach you to be more than that. 
He wants you to go deep, all in. And I believe that God has has brought together a group of pastors and leaders in this place who want to see you go deep. I think God is calling us deeper. Because we started out really well. It's time to take the next steps. And if we don't, well, if we don't start doing the work, we're, we're not going to reach maturity. I don't want infants. The Lord doesn't want infants. He wants maturity. He wants maturity. He wants a, a fully functioning body that he can use. I, <laughs> as I was reading last night, just doing my last little bit of, of study, I had this funny image of like my head on Mick's body. Me and, and all of my understanding and, you know, everything that I've experienced in life, my, my wisdom and, and knowledge of how the world should work and everything that I have learned and am capable of doing, but mixed body. I know how to drive. He can't reach the pedals. You know? I know how to play the bass guitar. His fingers can't wrap around the neck. I know how to play basketball, but his arms can't throw the ball up there. Do we want Christ to function like that? He's the head. He doesn't need an infant's body. He needs a mature church ready to do the work. He needs a mature church ready to do the work. Church, let's go all in. Just go all in. Find your place and start doing the work. For the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to dive in really deep into those five callings. And, and I really believe with my whole heart that somewhere along this journey over the next few weeks together, something is just going to resonate in your spirit and you're going to be, man. Whew. Yes, Jesus. Yes. That's what, that's what I'm going to be. Because Jesus isn't calling us to go do something. He's calling us to be something. You can't do apostle. You can't do evangelist. It doesn't say he calls some to evangelism. It says he gave evangelists. He didn't give us, he didn't give the church a list of activities. He gave us something to be. Let's be the church. Let's be the mature body of Christ. I'm excited to see I'm excited to see some some eyes light up and some spirits energized as the Lord starts speaking to you over the next few weeks, calling you specifically to the place in this body where you're meant to serve. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We love you. We worship you. We honor you. God, we're humbled this morning by the reality that you you would want us. Who am I that you're mindful of me? What is man that you would acknowledge us? 
And yet you have called to us. You have equipped us. You have gifted and graced us to be your hands and your feet. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Thank you. Thank you. And we just say together this morning, you are our God. We are your people. Have your way among us. Amen. Amen.